Our second reading today is from the uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God our rock, and our redeemer. There's something so very powerful about speaking another person's language. In his book, In the Shelter, Finding a Home in the World, Patrick Otalma tells a story about a late-night walk one night while he was trying to process his grief over a friend's suicide. I saw a man who seemed distressed. I stopped to ask if he wanted directions, And as he replied, it was clear that he was deaf. I owned a sign language dictionary and had perused it for years, and so I was delighted to practice my limited knowledge. He told me he was French and had only arrived in the city that day. He was looking for the train station, and I said to come with me. We walked, and I stumbled through his fluent language. He was happy to have met someone who could speak a few words of his language, And I was delighted at the happy chance to talk. When we said goodbye at the train station, he grabbed both my slow hands in his, and I felt his warmth and fluency, and we shared a joy of being human in the city. On the day of Pentecost, there were people gathered from all over. The Feast of Weeks was a huge celebration for the Jewish people, and they had come from far and from near to celebrate it in Jerusalem. Many were travelers in a foreign land. They were pilgrims. And if you've ever traveled abroad, you know how very comforting it is to hear your home language spoken in that place. Your ears get used to hearing one thing that doesn't make much sense, though, and it can be confusing when you suddenly hear something that should make sense to you. Your brain struggles to switch gears. Tim and I took a Spanish class a few years back before a series of missions trips to Guatemala. 
And I missed a test one week because, ironically, I was in Guatemala with a medical group following the terrible 2005 mudslides there. And the next week, when I was back, the teacher put me in an empty classroom down the hall to make up the test. A few minutes into it, another small class came into the room. Their teacher said he didn't mind my being there if I didn't mind them. And I said that was fine and went back to my test. Now, the Spanish test was written in both Spanish and English, as foreign language tests tend to be. The directions and questions were written in English, but we were meant to answer them in Spanish, which is hard enough to begin with, switching gears from one language to another in your head. But then the other class began to speak in German, which is, for the record, my second language. Spanish was the third language I studied. So I was reading directions in English while trying to answer them in Spanish, all the while hearing and trying to process the German in the background. It's no wonder that Peter and the disciples were accused of being drunk at nine in the morning when all of a sudden they just start preaching in a bunch of different languages. It sounds ridiculous and chaotic, and our brains aren't sure what direction to go with it. Can you imagine how utterly chaotic that scene was? I was only trying to process three languages at once, but there are at least 15 people groups mentioned in this passage from Acts. We are told of two responses to this wild, chaotic scene. Some are amazed and receive the gospel with hearts wide open to the Holy Spirit as they hear it spoken in their native language. They are completely amazed, blown away by what God is working that day. Others sneer and make fun and accuse them of being completely off their rockers. They must be drunk. These ones see God being worshipped and proclaimed in a new way, and they are not amused. And I want to say that as we sit here in church on Pentecost Sunday, that we are all in that first group. But let's really think about it, because I know that I am not generally in that first group. What is our response to the Spirit at work? We have spent some time lately talking about speaking the cultural language of those around us. But when we see that happening, how do we react? When we see powerful, unruly worship Is our response to say, wow, look at the Spirit moving in their worship? Or is it to look down on them saying, they're doing it wrong, what a noisy mess? When we see people our culture looks down on, the poor, the incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, the homeless, those struggling with mental illness, when we see them there sitting in the pews of a church, Is our default position an assumption that the Spirit is working for healing in their lives and in the church, or is it an attitude of sneering, discomfort, and judgment? When someone suggests doing something new in church, do we jump in to see what the Spirit might do, which is, for the record, how every tradition got started at one point, or do we shrug it off because if it ain't broke, don't fix it? When someone we don't want to talk to gets in a line next to us or sits down next to us on a park bench or a church pew and starts talking to us, is our reaction to assume that the Holy Spirit is moving so that we can be a powerful instrument projecting the word of God into the world around us? Or is it to ignore them with the excuse that our time is too valuable 
to enter into conversation, or that we aren't equipped to be a light in the world, or that we just don't feel like it. These questions stymied the early church, too, if it makes you feel better. Not long after the first Pentecost, the diversity of gifts and the diversity of people was both a good thing and a source of conflict. They struggled to remember that these are gifts, not achievements. They aren't earned. They don't come with bragging rights. No, no one of them is better than another. They had a difficult time accepting that the variety of people in their church had a variety of different ways they interacted when filled with the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't easy for them to navigate. The movement of the Spirit can have some very uncomfortable implications in our lives, dear ones. The pious leaders who sneered at the newly Holy Spirit-filled Christians weren't just being stodgy or mean. They genuinely did worry about the well-being of their religious community. They were protecting what they saw as being sacred. There were some real weirdos in Greco-Roman culture, especially in the religious circles. There were many false ecstatics out there who would just start acting wacky and saying it was a religious experience. Those ecstatics thought that the acting in these strange ways was how to reach some sort of religious enlightenment, rather than the unexpected behavior being a result of a religious experience. And so even today, it's true that not everyone acting ecstatic or unruly is full of the spirit. And not everyone acting whatever the opposite of ecstatic is, is not full of the spirit. Which can make it really hard to figure out who is working in the power of the Holy Spirit and who is not. So how do we know if something someone is up to is a gift of the spirit? Because the list we're given in this letter to the Corinthians that, I re or that Aaron read is not exhaustive. It would have been completely ridiculous for the Apostle Paul to have tried to put together an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in one letter. So how do we know what's a gift from the Spirit and what's something else? We find the clue in the last few verses of, this, of the Corinthians passage. For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you want to know who is working in the power of the Holy Spirit, ask this question. Who is building unity? Who is building community? Where are people being brought together rather than being driven apart? Where are differences like language, culture, age, financial status, race, nationality, and gender being overcome to create diverse communities of believers worshiping together? That is a terrifying commission, I know. It's hard to know even where to start in today's tragically polarized world. Everything is us versus them. And so hear the good news. Now there are varieties of gifts, but one spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We don't have to be anyone we're not. We don't have to try to fit ourselves into some sort of cramped mold that we don't fit into. There is no five-step plan to spiritual unity that we have to memorize and implement. We can bring unity by humbly using our own gifts that are given to us by the Spirit. My dear friend Barbie is an encourager. She brings people together by reminding them what's so wonderful about them. You can never, ever come out of a conversation with her without feeling better about yourself. Even when she calls me for advice or to vent about something, I feel like I'm the one that was helped when we say goodbye and hang up the phone. Sometimes I lovingly joke that it makes her a bit of a weirdo magnet, but everyone, weirdos and non-weirdos alike, just want to be around her and around each other because they just feel the spirit in the room when she is there. I have another friend, a colleague, who I can always rely on to call me out on my nonsense excuses and get to the bottom of what's really bugging me or standing in my way. He's got this way of seeing the situation, sizing up the players, and figuring out what's really going on. And he's great at that in congregational settings, too. He's spent his career as an interim minister, helping churches get through a transition into the next season. He brings them together to move on to their next long-term pastoral relationship by confronting them with the things that are really in the way of their vision. But he's not a terribly encouraging person to talk to for a long time. I need both of those friends in my life. We have people in the congregation, clerks of session, past and present, treasurers, administrative assistants, who help bring people together by using their gifts to keep the cats all herded so that everyone else is free to use their own gifts. Without them, the structure of the church just sort of unravels. In the first story I shared, Patrick Otalma used the gift of another language, maybe not the gift of tongues, as many people interpret it, but he used another language nonetheless to reach out to a distressed soul and to share a moment of God's love. That's evangelism. I could keep naming people and their gifts right now, but that would be just as silly and ridiculous as the Apostle Paul trying to list them all in one letter. What it comes down to is this. Living in the power of the Holy Spirit is not about looking or acting a certain way. You don't have to be rolling in the aisle or speaking in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about using the gifts that God has given you. 
your talents and your passions to bring people together as a living example of how we are united in Christ. And suddenly this commission to go out into the divided world and work for unity in Jesus Christ gets manageable. Suddenly it goes from terrifying to exciting. We are made new in Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that we are all forced into a specific mold or that we become someone we aren't, someone we weren't before. It means that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to be who we truly are. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just living as shadows of who we were created to be. But with Pentecost, we are empowered to leave that shadow life and embrace who we were created to be. And this extends to communities, not just individuals. This frees us up to explore what our passions and talents as a congregation are, to get out of the shadow life and burst out into the world as our real, spirit-filled self. We don't have to be just like the other churches. We don't have to be an evangelical megachurch with a band up front. We don't have to have a million programs and ministries going on every week. We just have to be Emsworth Presbyterian Church. Not the shadow version, but the God-ordained, spirit-filled version in which each member of the body uses their gifts. When each person here uses their passions and gifts, we function as a healthy body. And that body has its own gifts and calling. And that is power that can blow the roof off of a place. We don't have to be like the other churches to be powerful. We don't have to fit into an existing hole to be a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. If you have a spiritual gift that you feel is not being used, please let somebody know. How might you use that gift in the church? Let's figure it out. Don't know what your gifts for ministry are? Grab one of those spiritual gifts assessments that I set in the back or ask me to email you the online version. Think big. Use your imagination. You know yourselves and this congregation and this community better than I do. The movement of the Holy Spirit changes how we function in our lives and as a church through the gifts that each of us have been given. And that, my friends, is very exciting news. And so I want to end with a quote from The Shack. If you have not read it or seen the movie, I encourage you to do both as soon as you get home today. The main character, Mac, is questioning God if what he does really matters. And God says to him, If anything matters, then everything matters matters because you are important everything you do is important every time you forgive the universe changes every time you reach out and touch a heart or a life the world changes with every kindness and service seen or unseen my purposes are accomplished and nothing will be the same again amen